Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. In this week's episode, we are doing something different and we're going to stray away from the interview and re-catch up and sort of consolidate some of the experiences that Aiden and myself have experienced for the last nine months because it has been June of last year when we quit our jobs mid-pandemic and we went through a job transitions, but it has been a solid nine to 10 months since we had the opportunity to sit down and just reflect and talk about our respective and collective experiences, some of the lessons that we saw and some of the lessons we were able to take away from the last nine months. Because as everyone here knows, pandemic is still going on and starting from 2020 March until still concurrently, there has been a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainties. It almost seems like the only certainty is that COVID pandemic is still a factor. And although with the vaccinations rollout, changing towards the right directions, however, I think it still is valuable to reflect on our past and consolidate the lessons and seek out some of the lessons that are prevalent, that are applicable to our lives and moving forward with those lessons with us. So Aiden, it has been 10 months since we last caught up. How has life been out for you? And just tell us and walk us through some of the thought processes and how you've been feeling since we haven't sat down just two of us in the past nine months. Yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely been a challenging last few months. And the really big idea that comes up is the one that you mentioned of uncertainty and really embracing that uncertainty as one of the only known things in life is that life's going to continue to throw curveballs, continue to see things or throw things that we weren't expecting. And for me, the idea of expectation is the thief of joy really comes up. And I've been trying to embrace that and live that the last six, seven months, especially with everything going on, but really realizing that any expectation is going to be detracting from the present moment experience. So in a micro example, if I go into work and expect to leave at six and then end up leaving at nine, my expectation is the thing that's causing the suffering. But instead of going in and accepting the work day to unfold as it does, that automatically encourages a more seamless and more beneficial approach and mindset to it, right? So kind of trying to surrender that expectation and accept the present moment as it is has been something that I've been working on in kind of all facets of my life. I think the biggest one has been in career, but I'm also trying to apply that to our interviews of not having an agenda for what we want to talk to someone about. I mean, an agenda and an intention, certainly, but removing an expectation of what that what that conversation or what that experience looks like has been one of the biggest things that I've been working on. Yeah, I think expectations are the thieves of joy is such an important concept for all of us to grapple with and just to sip on because a incident that occurred recently comes to my mind. So 
I was in about three and a half weeks ago uh, from today's recording date, I got into a five car collision and it was a first multiple car car collision I've ever involved in. I've been driving for nearly 10 years and I've only gotten into two car accidents. And my car was completely wrecked and it was totaled three years ago, which prompted me to buy a new car. The car that I was most recently involved in, it was also recently announced a total loss. And I'm currently in the transitions in the process of purchasing a new car. With the expectations piece, it was on my way to work because I, with my new job, I'm the program manager. So I have to go into the office once a week because I'm a manager of positions and just to take care of some paperwork and conduct some in-person meetings, you know, social distance and mask and all that, of course. So when I got into a car accident around 7.30 in the morning on a Tuesday uh, from Philadelphia to Delaware County, where the office is located, if I were to caught up in the expectations, I would have been a lot more distraught and I would have been devastated because A, now I'm late to work and B, the expectation is I'm going to the office just like my normal routines are, get my days of work and come back just like the routines, right? Because I'm a man of creature, I'm a person of routines. But the reality was I was caught up in an unexpected five car collision. I was the second car out of the five cars. And you know, the circumstances don't really matter, but a car in front of me stopped abruptly, which caused my car to swerve into the shoulder lane. And I was able to come to a full stop on the 95 North Highway. However, it's on a highway, so there's millions of cars behind me. So three more cars collided into my car and rear-ended me. And I'll, I felt three consecutive impacts on my neck, which I had sustained whiplash for, I still do, which is the reason why I've been in chiropractic uh, intensive therapies. But I was able to detach myself from the expectations because the fact and the truth is the car accidents already happened. And being dwelling over expectations that, oh, I should be at work, I should be drinking coffee by now, I should be meeting with my boss, I should be meeting with my team at this time, that's irrelevant. Because regardless of what the subjective truth tells us, right, the subjective truth is the truth and the lens that we live by, the practical truth is the layer of truth that I adhere to and I prioritize more because regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what the truth are, what is practical is moving forward by being present. And another layer of that is I was very unfazed by the accidents. I was able to coordinate and call 911. I was able to write down everyone's information. I was able to do everything in a very orderly manner because of the car accident that happens three years prior. It was a lot more severe car accident. And I was completely shocked and distraught three years ago because it was my first major car accident. And I was so distraught and I was dwelling over my car being totaled, me being late to work, me taking a sick day, because everything's in the like life at that moment was spiraling out of control, right? And at that time, I thought this was the worst thing that happened to me. But three years forward into three weeks ago, I realized what is bad isn't bad. What is good isn't necessarily good either, right? Because we don't know what we don't know. And without the first car accident, I would have been utterly unprepared for this most recent car accident. And because of the first car accident, I was able to upgrade my auto insurance from limited torts into full torts. So I was able to get a full $15,000 refund. I didn't have to pay a single dime out of my pocket. 
and they even gave me like up to $15,000 in medical coverage. So I'm getting my intensive care, I'm doing my car all for free. In a very indirect way, it helped me to transform my perspective with time, my way to view life as it just is. Because there is no such thing as what could have happened, what should have happened, what, because it, they didn't happen, right? And whatever happens, happens. So we need to, at least for me, I've learned to prioritize practical truth above like subjective truth. Because like to be practical is to live. And I think that's like a very microism and representative of what the life has been for the past year and a half. With a lot of uncertainties, with the gap and the discrepancies between what we expect and what the reality simply is. Yeah, well said. I think I'd like to zoom in a little bit on the relationship with time because that's definitely something I've been thinking a lot about and specifically in the idea that you brought up of this stressful situation building experience. And I think that's something that applies both to your car accident of then taking the lessons away from the first car accident and applying them to the second. But that can be expanded and shifted to any number of areas of life of the first relationship builds for the second relationship or the first pandemic shifts for hopefully not, but the next pandemic or really just solidifies those lessons that we're learning through adversity that your story kind of elegantly points to. So with that kind of idea in mind, I'm curious as to what shifted in your relationship with time from that incident. Is it kind of not assigning a judgment or morality of good or bad to each specific incident and kind of accepting it as it is or what shifted around the concept of time for you just not inherently looking at something as a good or bad yeah i think i think that's one of the first inciting incidents slash catalyst that made me realize like there is no such thing as good or bad in life like everything should be reframed as does this incident or does this circumstance or does this event, it's not they're good or bad for you. It's because are they servicing or disservicing you? Because we are confined by our limited perception of time, right? Because like lately with all this newly emerging evidence in neuroscience, in spiritual wellness, mindfulness practices, all there are valid because the more we get caught up in the past or the future, we lose our power over the present because time's always fleeing, every moment's always fleeing from us. So after I was able to reframe things as servicing or disservicing me at the time, I realized at the moment, my car accident was a huge disservice because I was without a car for a month and a half. I had to take a sick day that day. I had to negate the couple of meetings I had planned for that day. You know, And I'm type A, so I'm very good with structure, but anytime there's uncertain or unexpected events that stir up my structure, I don't deal with the last minute changes very well. And that's like the rigidity of my type A personality. But the way I reframe time is just that, like just a detachment. I think the word detachment comes to my mind. It's detached from the outcome, but also detached from the past, but also detached from the future. Because like there is just no way for us to predict what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. Because we don't know what we don't know. So instead of wasting our mental energies, our physiological energies, our mental energies, or emotional energy towards uncertainties or the certainties of future, because a reality always has a way to slice us lemons that weren't expecting. Life always has a way to stir up the pot, to give you a little spring of surprises, right? So the best way to deal with the surprises 
is just have faith in the process and have faith in the practice and detach from what the outcome could be or what the outcome should be. And I think that indirectly affected the way I view time, not just the car accident, but the way I view my relationship. The, the way I view this podcast, the way I view our friendship is that it's not just a three to five year increments, but it's a lifelong thing. Once you're able to zoom out and expand your time horizon, I think we'll be amazed by the amount of things we're able to accomplish because we're a lot more patient. But then patient isn't synonymous with complacency, right? That's why the baseline and the default of everything we're saying is you have to be intentional to seek out the lessons and you have to be intentional to cultivate the toolkits or the practices. And that's the reason why I was able to be a, a lot well adapted into the second car accident because I took that practice. I did the work to refrain to integrate the perspective. Yeah, definitely. I think the idea that everything happens for a reason gets a bad rap because as you pointed out, uncertainty is the only certain thing in the world right now. I think we're all living our own stories in different ways, but we're all figuring it out as we go. But what your story speaks to is that this was a chaotic incident that no one was expecting and might not have happened a reason, but the empowering reframe of that is that everything happens for a reason if you assign it a reason. So if you walked away from that car accident with no lessons or no takeaways to how to apply it to your life, then that car accident wouldn't have happened for a reason. So I think there's this interesting relationship between the like spiritual idea that everything happens for a reason and then the self-empowered idea of our responsibility to give it a reason, which is something I'd really just like to encourage listeners to think about. It's something that's been super helpful for me recently of even if it's something that we never saw coming that is chaotic, that is stressful or tragic in the moment itself, it still becomes an empowering idea to give it a reason. You don't necessarily need to latch on to the spiritual ideas of it, but just from a practical standpoint, having the power to create a specific subjective truth to incorporate your own experience might mean something to different people, right? They might interpret what happened to you differently than you do, but it's really that self-empowered mindset of giving it a reason and a lesson so that it does happen for a reason. You can kind of solidify and unpack those understandings. That's why the ability to reframe your perspective matters so much because like we've heard this before, like, like your reality is your perception or your perception is reality. But another layer to that is I think reality equals to perception plus perspective because your perception is shaped by your experiences. That's why your perception of the world, that's your perception of who you are, your self-esteem, your confidence, your anxiety, your mental health, your family, your trauma, that shapes your perception. But your perspective is, I think, what you take away from your perception and how you apply that. And because I think a lot of times, especially in today's era, people always say information is power, knowledge is power. But I've talked about this before, but I think appliance is power. Because when you have too much information, when you have too much going on, you're going to get distracted. That's when like paralysis by analysis happens. That's when decision-making fatigue happens. So it's all about what can you apply from that experiences. I think what human likes to do because the way our brains are programmed, we like to seek out a pattern. We like to intellectualize everything. The way we do pattern recognition is because the more you do pattern recognition, the more you recognize what a pattern is. The more you recognize something, the more certain it is. 
And pattern recognition, I think, is a, is a surviving or coping mechanism that humans have developed to cope with uncertainties. But by doing that, you're attaching the meaning to that patterns. Like you talked about, if, there, if you want to seek out a meaning to your coughing by going onto WebMD, you will find out you have terminal stage cancer or you're bombarded by a lot of scary things. Because if you're seeking out that meaning, whether it's chaos or good, you're going to seek out that meaning especially for how ubiquitous and powerful internet is. If you want a meaning, internet or life will give you a meaning. But it's all about the power you give, right? In the same ways, like there wasn't a pattern to my car accidents. There wasn't a pattern to this pandemic. Sure, we know pandemic happened before and it's going to happen, but there is no uncertainties. There is no pattern attached to that. Humans just like to apply our intellectual understanding to that pattern because the more we know, the less fearful we become. But... We just don't know, you know? Life is just uncertain. And the philosopher Nietzsche comes to my mind where Nietzsche talked about, for anyone don't know, he was the one who proclaimed God is dead years ago after a lot of nihilistic tendencies and, you know, but, but one of the things he said is, when you are born into this world as a human being, you sign a contract with life. And the only two clauses or the two things that are listed on that contract is one, you're going to die. That's one of the few certainties that we know of in this world is you're going to die. The second thing on that contract is you're going to live a life full of uncertainties and sufferings. That sounds very depressing, but it is very, very true, right? Because what else do you know? Like when you were born into this world, A, you didn't, you didn't even choose to be born. Your parents made that decision for you. And once you're born into this world, you're grappled with so much uncertainties. That's why I think by having that empowering and reframing mindset, we need to seek out certainty and uncertainty. And I think it's that detachment process is that we just don't know. Life is so much grander and the force of life is so much bigger than we are. We can ever amount to. It's not going to be a winning fight. We're never going to win against life. Like for us to have a certain expectations, we're seeing that we're going to withhold influence over life. That's not possible. Life just is. And where you have to adapt to that. That's why I think it's important to cultivate perspective from your perception, from your experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it also speaks to the importance of trying different things and embracing those new perspectives. So for some listeners, we are currently recording in a mountain house attic in upstate New York, and we just did a cold plunge when it's like actually snowing outside in a moving river for the first time ever. And it was really with that idea of seeking discomfort and taking on experiences that were gonna push our comfort zone. The idea of hormesis is basically getting stronger through adversity or taking on intentional challenges to grow in other areas of life. That's a very stoic idea, uh, stoic philosophy of facing those challenges so that the rest of life gets a lot easier. And I think that can be applied in any number of areas. We talk a lot about employing hindsight as foresight and recognizing that when things are the toughest is when you're growing the most. And I've personally tried to employ that within the last few months of my work experience of working 60 hour weeks and still trying to contribute to the podcast and keep my health in order. But really knowing reminding myself in that moment, this is where we're growing. This is what I'm doing the work for, where finding the opportunity to 
grow in something that objectively looks adverse and stressful. I mean, certainly there's still times and there's no way to rid or shed those feelings specifically. I think as humans, we'll always feel some level of stress just from a biological perspective, but really embracing that idea of using that time for growth. And it's almost a simple reframe around the question, how is this experience serving me? And looking at it through that lens and that almost allows for an optimistic look through that experience. It's certainly easier said than done, and there are inherently chaotic and tragic things that happen, whether it's health, family members, friends, your car accident, for example. There's always those things that life will throw, but as your story elegantly speaks to something that was on paper tragic and terrible, whether it was your car accident three years ago or your car accident now, you're assigning it a meeting that is allowing you to grow and learn lessons that you'll shift into other areas of your life. Yeah, and for the listeners that's listening, I don't want you to feel a sense of helplessness because like what we talked about with Nietzsche's quote, sure, there's a lot of uncertainties, but then nobody ever told you life is fair, right? Nobody ever told you life is guaranteed. Nobody told you that life is going to be prosperous, none of that right and but the empowering thing is that you get to assign the meaning that you want like you are truly the creator of your story right like we all are the co-creators of our narrative narratives we all are the creators of truth whether it's subjective truth or practical truth like there is the highest level of truth which is objective truth which is like the first principles which is the you know the world how like the you know physics how they operate that's the objective truth but that are not as relevant to how we carry out ourselves. So, but we get to control and influence our subjective truth and practical truth. And I think that's extremely empowering is even though we live under this umbrella of so-called life, even though we can't exert so much influence over life, but within the confinement or within the premise of life, we still get to create our own narrative and own truth. And I think that's extremely powerful is that you get to assign the meeting that you want to any circumstances, to any event. And the power is always within you. The only difference is whether how you want to apply that or not. You know. So with that being said, I'm curious about you, Aiden, is that in the past nine months since we have recorded, but within the last three, four months of work time, because I know as your friend, as your co-host, you have been working very, very intensely at your finance corporate job. So does any of what we talked about with the detachments or the reframing comes to my mind that's applicable to your own experiences? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I alluded to it earlier, but just coming into a work day with an expectation of what the day is going to look like has made an astronomical difference in the way that that day turns out. A big part of my job is just putting out fires of random things that come up or, you know, I think that's inherent to anyone's job in a corporate setting, but really just adapting on the fly and not having expectations or time frames of what things will look like because the moment I put a work block of, hey, I want to do this from 2 to 4, and then if something, a monkey wrench comes in at 2.30, that robs that experience of what the potential it is to be. And then, you know, that's a micro example of like what time I wanted to get home or what I wanted to have for dinner, but really just approaching each moment as it is is something that I've definitely tried to embrace over the last few months somewhat in the work context, but then also in the, I alluded to podcast sense, in the relationship sense, in the 
even just what a workout might look like. You know, sometimes I might come in really excited, uh, really energetic, excited to hop into the weights, and then by the end, my body is reacting differently of maybe I didn't get enough sleep or maybe I didn't hydrate enough, but really looking inward and kind of trusting my body, listening to intuition for what I personally need in that time, whether it's from a physical space, a mental space, or a spiritual sense even at the same time of, you know, maybe I only meditate for 10 minutes, maybe I'll meditate for 25, but really looking inward and trusting that intuitive whisper is something I've been trying to think a lot about. There was, that idea really came out in a lot of the episodes that we did, whether it was the first introduction with Natalie Brown of her stories around manifesting the leopard and really trusting her intuition in her sequence of events that brought her to her job in Laos. And then that was even echoed in a lot of the conversation that we had with Jacqueline, the life coach who alluded to trusting your intuition and feeling the next best step forward of, of looking through a flashlight at a few steps ahead of you. You don't need to see to the end of the tunnel, but intuitively knowing that you'll go to the right place if you keep taking the next the next step forward. So that's kind of what I've been trying to embody in my own life from a less philosophical side, but more a application side. As you pointed out, it's really the application it's, that's power. I think all of this knowledge and information and content that's out there is amazing and such a blessing, but also it can be crippling in what to apply. Or There's so many different schools of thought, but really it's that application is where the power lies in how you're bringing those things to life in the physical or real form. So it's one thing to read the book, but really to implement the teachings of that book is an entirely different thing. So I've basically agree on the detachment side. I've been trying to detach myself of expectations, priorities, all of that kind of thing, and really accept the present for what it is, has really been my biggest takeaways in the last few months. Yeah, I think the idea of creation versus consumption comes to my mind. And I know you and I, we always talk about the balancing act between creation and consumption. But I do think the true power lies within creation, right? Because when you're consuming, you're receiving the knowledge, the information. But like we talked about, appliance is power. So appliance only comes when you're creating, right? That's when you breed your idea to life, or that's when you breathe life into your ideas and vice versa. So I do think creation is power, and that's why we're encouraging the listeners and we talk about you can only create when you reframe, when you apply the perception and the perspective. And that's why I think it's a more empowering than not, even though, and in spite and despite of all the uncertainties that life guarantees, we still get to write and narrate our own story. Another thing that comes to my mind is I think uh, you can talk about more, but both of our jobs since our transition last June um, in pandemic, we were both privileged enough that we were able to secure a new job. At least in my work, uh, I'm still very grateful for my job. My job has still been an amazing experience for the past year, but there have been some discrepancies or a gap between my expectations and reality. And I think that's like a, once again, another microism and a micro representations of what life is is that nobody expected for 2020 to happen. Nobody expects for a pandemic to leak into the year of 2021, right? Because a lot of people were thinking, oh, we're gonna have our summer back last year, which obviously didn't happen. 
with you, I know you already talked about you've been working more hours than you expected, and I know you've been working till 9, 9.30 p.m. every single day the past four months. Aside from your experiences, aside from your ability to reframe and make the best out of it by detaching from what you're expecting what the day would be, I know you had a very important and a very you know sizable event that happened a few months prior to that. And we'd love for you to share that with your audiences and some of the lessons you've taken away from that, I guess, catalyst event, which I think gave you a lot of fuel for you to be able to survive and even thrive within the last four months of incredibly difficult work schedule of yours. Yeah, definitely. And I think this comes back to the idea that you mentioned of every event isn't good or bad in the moment, but what it means for you down the road. And I can only see that now in hindsight, six months on the other side of this event, because at the time, it was one of the most tragic and or traumatic events that I've ever gone through. I'll explain the story, but the short of it is I got scammed out of $18,000 while I was in my corporate job. So what happened that day was I was in a bit of a wacky headspace from the get-go. I had broken up with my girlfriend the weekend before and was just in just not the best emotional or mental state. So... It was also one of our busiest times of the year, so stress was just kind of coming at me from all different levels and layers, and I got a call at lunch at my work. As soon as I picked up and said, is this Aiden Weinman? This is a social security officer. We hate to tell you, but your social security information has been compromised. At first, I was very skeptical to be getting a random call in the middle of the day, I think as any person's first reaction would be, but... I think 2020 itself, I was really thinking a lot about that uncertainty of life itself. And if this was happening, I almost saw it as, you know, another chalk chalk mark in the year of 2020. Like, of course, this would happen. It's been such a weird year. I'm really embracing that victim mentality subconsciously of like, of course, this would happen. Like, it's already been such a tough year. Like, what was me? Of course, I'd end up having my Social Security compromised. But they did it in a very persuasive way. So as soon as I answered, they went into a story basically saying, we found a car in northern Mexico that was used, that your social security number was used to rent. And there were guns in the back, pounds of cocaine, and blood all over the car. And that sent me into an immediate flight or flight of, you know, just nervous system overload, stressed out is everything like okay what does this mean for me um i had just started a new job so i was like is there a way that my data was breached through them basically what the scammer did was say do you know anyone that could have compromised your info like kind of try to turn me against everyone that i trust in that they might have compromised my info which i only recognized in the time but while i was in the conversation it just sounded like they were trying to be helpful Uh, I went through a number of questions of, hey, how do I know that this is like a real line? Why aren't you guys coming to my house? And they basically went through a persuasion monologue of, oh, it's been COVID. We can't meet you in person. This is the biggest drug deal that we've had in American history. We don't want you to get drugged down by this. So the long and short of it was that I had to go to my bank and secure my assets because my social security number was going to be seized. All of the cash the cartel had was associated with my ID number, so they wanted to seize all of my money associated with my social, so I had to remove all of my assets and safeguard them so when that I got a new social number, 
I would be reimbursed for that money. At the time, I definitely had my skeptical hat on. I mean, as someone who worked in public accounting, now works in finance, I felt a bit equipped to deal with the situation, but still the stress of it all and the mental state just completely diminished my ability to do so. And over the next six hours, I went bank to bank, store to store, to convert all of this money into coupons and subsequently send over to the fraudsters. With each step I took, I solidified the narrative of what I was doing was correct. It almost grooved the neuro pathway of, I'm making the right decision, this guy's looking out for me, I just need to take every next step to get to the right place. So with each step, I further convinced myself that what I was doing was right, and I'm so grateful for the staff at Nordstrom who said, are you sure you're not getting scammed? And in that moment, I realized that I was, like everything kind of flooded in of like, whoa, what was I just doing? Like kind of took me out of that flight or flight state and really looking inward and realizing, it was almost a uh, intuitive knowing the entire time, but a fear had me on override. And I think the, I, the lessons that I really unpacked from this experience were first and foremost, trust the intuitive feeling of like, is this right? Is this wrong? Should I trust this person? Should I not? I've always valued my ability to trust openly, but it really made me reorient my idea of trusting openly and trusting blindly. And in this case, I was trusting blindly and not trusting the people that already were in my corner, not reaching out to a family member or a friend of like, hey, does this sound right? But instead burdening it myself and going through with this person that had just called me. So that was the first lesson. And then the second big idea that I took away from this experience was, I guess, what's important in life. And this is a lesson that my mom kind of encouraged me with at the time, which I'm deeply grateful for because I needed it at the time. It felt like you know, my entire net worth was stripped away. I didn't know how I was going to pay rent for the next few months. She made the point that like, yeah, the money is gone, the money will come back, but the important things are still alive. Like everyone's still healthy, friends and family are happy. The money is going to come back in time. And it was tough to kind of realize at the time, but in a weird way, losing that money made me A, value money more, but also detach from the importance that it has on my life kind of like in the loss revealed the lack of importance it made me reorient the value that I put on money and really embrace that idea that friends and family and health and learning and curiosity really emerge as my key values when I was clearly just kind of working for that next paycheck or to pay off that next dollar of debt but between those two ideas of how I viewed money and listening to my intuition were definitely two of the biggest ideas that came up or lessons that I took away from one of the most challenging challenging instances I've gone through recently. Yeah, uh, I think there's lots to unpack there. And I wanna share something that came to my mind is when you were talking about your intuition has been whispering in your ears, right? You have been hearing this intuitive whisper your entire time of retrieving your assets to wire them to the to the scammers, right? And I do remember one incident that you told me was that at a, a lot of stores that you stopped by, your credit card was declined five to six times, right? So almost like every time you wanted to take out the money, your credit card would get declined, even though you had enough balances left. So in a way, life was 
through this mysterious force, whatever names you want to attach to that force, but life was hinting that, Aiden, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. But obviously, because of your nervous system override and because of your fight or flight's trigger, you chose to ignore that intuitive whisper. And obviously, the last cashier at the Northstorm told you that and were able to pull you out from your fight or state mode. But it was after the fact, right? And something like that exactly happened to my car accident. Now I'm just re-remembering talking about this out loud. Is the day of my car accident, I was already, I woke up late. I slept through my alarm, which never happens during the day. And so there was already a similar to you. There has been like a wacky start since the get go. Something wasn't right, and I felt it. I was in a rush. I had to skip my meditation practices, which I never do. And I, I, I brushed my teeth, thankfully, but I only had the time to brush my teeth, wash my fa- face. I skipped my morning protein smoothie. I skipped my morning meditation sessions, and I, I was rushing. Right before I ran out of the door, so that I wasn't late to work for that day, I got a call from my friend Garrett Nork. He is my army buddy of mine, and I've known him for seven years. Over the seven years I've known him through my army with him, he has never called me in the morning. Especially, he has never called me during a work week. So for this Wednesday morning, also earlier I said my accident was on a Tuesday. I misspoke. Uh, the accident happened on a Wednesday, February tenth. So on the day, in the morning of February tenth, Wednesday, I got a call from my friend at seven thirty a.m. Exactly, and it was such a peculiar thing because I've known him for seven years and he has never called me in the morning. And the crazy part is, in hindsight. When I look back on the incidents, if I chose to answer that call from my friend Garrett Nork, that would have delayed my process for at least ten minutes. That means I would have gotten to my car ten minutes later than I would have left, or when I did leave. That means there is a huge probability that I would have have evaded that car collisions entirely, because ten minutes could happen a lot in the, in terms of the time of highways, or the morning traffic. So after the car accident, I called my friend saying that, "Hey, Nork,、uh, I just got into a car accident.、Uh, I'm just curious, why did you call me at 7:30 in the morning on a Wednesday?" This is what he told me, and this is the crazy part, and this is what truly solidified my the reframing of my perception of time. This is what truly reframes how I view events in life. Is they're not good or bad because we don't know what we don't know. He said that I have no idea. I woke up this morning on a Wednesday. I had no idea. I just had, had this weird inkling that, huh? Let me call Benoit to see what he's up to. That's it. He ha- he also just had this random whisper coming out of nowhere. I said, "Hey, reach out to Benoit," and that's why he decided to call me for the first time in seven years of our friendship history. And that is so odd. It's almost once again whether you believe in God or universe. In my case, I believe in God. It's almost like God created this intentional, intuitive whisper. Into not just my life, but also Garrett's life, and through that, it was like your incidents or your sequence of your car being declined before you're able to withdraw your assets. Is like life or universe in a way was trying to steer us towards the right directions, and you know this may sound like woo woo to some people, but、uh, we both、uh, believe in spiritual practices, and so to us it makes sense. Once again, this goes back to what we talked about in this episode earlier: the meaning of life is what you give it. So I choose to give、uh, this incident the meaning that I'm attaching to. It's in line with my practical truth and my subjective truth. So it's so interesting how intuition works. 
And on a, on a more scientific level, for people who are interested in, I have a lot of interest in neuroscience, the idea of limbic brain and neocortex. So limbic brain is the part that is in charge of your behavior. Your neocortex is like your visual cortex, your audio cortex, that's in correspondence with your language. And like the idea of gut feeling, it's literally biology because gut feeling isn't from coming from your gut. Gut feeling comes from your brain, from your limbic brain. That's why when you're trying to explain to someone why do you love something, aside from just the quantifiable or tangible qualities, like such as like, why do you love your girlfriend or why are you married to your partner? Because you love a lot of people. People can never quite precisely articulate why they're in love or why they love their partner. They just say, oh, I don't know, I love them, or I don't know, we're compatible. But you're compatible with a lot of people, right? A lot of people are good looking. So why is this your partner? We can't articulate that because it's your limbic brain. And limbic brain is corresponding with your behavior. So a lot of times this gut feeling, this intuition that the society throws around, there's a lot of scientific and spiritual undertones to that concept. So I don't want people to, I don't want the listeners to dismiss uh, what we're saying here because there's a lot of science that could attach to these phenomena that we're experiencing. But I think intuitive whisper intuitions are so powerful concepts. And I, I really, um, I'm grateful that you were, you were able to share that with us. Yeah, definitely. And that brings up a really interesting point around even our experience a few days ago that when we were leaving for this trip, my car died and we were supposed to leave at eight o'clock in the morning and didn't end up leaving until nine. So that set us on an hour difference of when we were planning our trip and then to what actually materialized on the other side. And so many valuable things happened just out of coincidence because of that seemingly annoying and difficult instance at the time. So from the moment I realized my car wasn't going to start, I spent a half hour going person to person asking for someone to jump my car. And eventually I ended up spotting my neighbor leaving that day. And he is a doctor in Philly who I have admired from afar for a long time. And having the opportunity to talk to him one-on-one for 10 minutes while he was jumping my car and doing me a huge solid was a huge I guess, step in the relationship that I hope to build with him and opportunity to learn from him and his experience and even just connect with him on a human-to-human level, talking about some of his experience when he was my age and kind of our some of our plans for the podcast moving forward. Not only that, so that was kind of the first individual sake, but for the benefit of us as a group, yourself and your girlfriend, Becky, We ran into a park ranger as we arrived to our hike on Friday morning. And to be honest, we were all super confused. We weren't sure where to park. We weren't sure if we could go on this hiking trail. So there's a very strong chance that we wouldn't have done this hike altogether if we didn't coincidentally run into this park ranger as we were entering the state park. And he was so kind. He gave us directions, gave us a map, gave us the local newspaper, directed us exactly where to go, and really helped us, A, take the trip in general, but also maximize the trip in terms of how we were able to know exactly where everything was, have a pamphlet that allows us to reflect on that experience. But really, the seemingly annoying incident of my car being dead on Friday morning set up the entire sequence of events of... I guess the divine timing that I choose to believe in of, you know, I was supposed to talk to my 
neighbor and end up building a relationship from there or that we were supposed to meet the park ranger hear about this hike and do it all together and then even the sequence of events of the following weekend to start all came from that one small incident that was annoying at the time that I'm choosing to be grateful for at this time because we've resolved it and it set us up for such a beautiful weekend moving forward. Yeah, and then I want to provide a few more colors for that Friday morning because we both like to plan forward and we're both very constructive with our plans and we're both very type A. So we operate from a point of planning, right? So the expectations of leaving at 8 a.m. versus the reality of leaving at 9 a.m. due to your unexpected battery being dead. First of all, that itself was very peculiar because your, your battery hasn't died in the longest time. And so there was no reason for your car to be dead. But the fact that your neighbor, after you're, you're waiting for 15 minutes, that because it was early in the morning on a Friday, most people are at work. We took our PTOs for this retreat weekend. So you weren't supposed to meet anyone for a while, but your neighbor was able to literally come to rescue your situations. It not only enables you to create that rapport and to plant that seed for the future, but also when after we drove uh, two and a half hours, to Buttermilk Falls for this beautiful hike because it was a perfect weather, it was sunny, it was 68 degrees, everything was perfect. But when we got there, we realized the road was closed. We realized our car couldn't get through the park into where the hike starts. And when we went to look up the reviews on all trails, the most recent review was from a month ago, especially with COVID pandemic going on with a lot of state parks being closed, with the snow still being a huge factor in these state parks. We just didn't know what to do because we didn't have adequate information to access from, right? So we were very confused. But then literally, like you talked about, park ranger came out of nowhere and drove out of this closed road and told us that, hey, you can't drive through here. There's a lot of snow. There's a lot of ice. Your car won't make it through. So he you know, cordially told us to park on the side, right? But that impeccable timing is so strange is that if we didn't leave an hour later, if the circumstances of your car didn't break down, the chances are we most likely would have missed out on that park ranger. The chances are we would have been lost or like you talked about, the trip would have, might not have happened, which would have derailed our entire weekend, right? Because we wanted to kickstart this podcast retreat weekend in this uh, Livingston, Manor, New York, because we wanted to tap into that creativity through novel experiences or novelty. So in a way, without your car battery being dead, everything that we've experienced and all the profound experience from this weekend, from all our takeaways, all that would have been very different. Once again, we don't know what we don't know, but it talks about the ability to detach from what's seemingly good or bad. Yeah, 100%. And radical acceptance is something that comes to mind and something that we've talked a lot about on the podcast. I think with a lot of our guests, it was in the kind of self-inquiry, self-acceptance type idea of accepting our emotions, accepting our values, accepting who we are as people. But this radical acceptance almost goes further than that into radically accepting the inner workings and timing of life, trusting in that, really just the idea of radical acceptance and faith in whatever you decide to believe in, but really having faith that those timings are for a greater purpose in some senses. So with that being said, I kind of wanted to introduce a new idea that I think speaks to both of our experiences that I hope encourages or inspires somebody listening because 
we've all been through a lot the past 16 months. I think 2020 and even the front half of 21 have been some of the most challenging for all of us here in America, all over the world. And just continuing to get back up and not let the challenges overcome the things that you feel passionately about. So I think both of our instances speak to this in that even though I was completely off the handlebars, just emotionally a wreck after this scam incident, it happened on a Wednesday and we had an interview that Saturday. And I really rethought through the idea of what would be good for my mental health, what would be good for the listener's experience, what would be good for the guest's experience. Am I at my best to actually show up for this? And while I wasn't at my best, I reframed that to not letting the victim mentality or the perpetrator of this scam win. Because if, you know, I canceled my interview because I lost all that money on Wednesday, it was letting him win from both the financial side and like the mental side. But really choosing to still pursue the things that I felt called to being the interview, really standing back up on the other side of this challenge of this adversity was, I think, one of the more defining decisions that I've made in 2020 as a whole. So I would really like to encourage you listening that no matter how challenging things feel, there's always an opportunity to stand back up. I think to go back to the Philly great of Rocky, it's not as many times as you get knocked down, but how many times you get back up. And really, I think all of us need and deserve a reminder of of that. As much as it might feel dark, as much as it feel like you miss your friends, like you miss real life, there's always an opportunity to get back up. Hopefully, as COVID begins to near its end or its transition point, we can all begin standing back up on the other side of a very challenging time. Yeah, and I think if you look at how fast we were able to roll out and even develop COVID-19 vaccination, that was a record time. Like A lot of people aren't talking about how historical that has been. That has been the fastest turnaround rate ever in human history, how fast we were able to collectively develop such a powerful tool and powerful medicine and powerful vaccinations for this pandemic. And it talks about that we have more power. And I think humans are such a resilient and tenacious creatures. And humans collectively are the most adaptable species and currently the most powerful creatures ever resided on this planet earth so i think we need to lean more into faith and we need to lean more into the tenacity that all of us are born with because humans are great creatures and we have accomplished so much starting from the great pyramids to the six wonders of the world to currently battling covid19 and developing and implementing vaccinations nationwide all of those are just a tip and a snippet of what humans are capable of. So I think what you're encouraging with what Rocky said makes a lot of sense. And I think it's so relevant to the current pandemic, the current circumstances, and the current reality that all of us are residing within. But leaning into tenacity, leaning into the resiliencies, and choose to cultivate a practice to get back up. And I think this ties back beautifully to the concept you gloss over briefly with the neural pathways. Right, so to all the listeners who aren't familiar with that concept, it's very simple. Neural pathways are simply the pathways or the passages you create and you develop in your brain, in your neural, in your brain, which is the epicenter and the neurocenter of your body. So what that means is the more you repeat a certain practice, the more you repeat a certain action. Through practice, through consistent practices, that actions gradually becomes the default. 
uh, reaction to what you do. So for example, after you get home from work at 5 p.m., if the first thing you do is you sit on your couch and you turn the TV until 8 p.m., if that's what you do, you're going to inevitably create neural pathways in your brain that dictates your future behaviors is that the next day, the next month, the next year when you come home, you're going to automatically turn on that TV. And that's the same concept as a habits forming. Habits are formed through neural pathways. And neural pathways are incredibly powerful and dangerous because it entirely depends and predicated on what you contribute to that action. That means if you're going to cultivate and repeat good practices or positive practices, then you're going to create positive neural pathways in your brain. If you're going to repeat negative or actions that are of disservice to you, then you're going to inevitably also create negative neural pathways in your brain. That's why self-care, doing all these routines or self-care practices, all those are within the neural pathways concepts. The more you repeat a certain actions, the more certain that action is going to become the default setting for you. So I think it's important to cultivate and view anything and everything in life as practice. Because anything that you do, you're going to create neural pathways. So might as well create the positive ones. Yeah, 1000%. And the, I guess, saying that I always come back to when it's talking about neural pathways is the analogy of riding a bike through a trail. And when you're riding a bike, there's typically thousands of different ways or different approaches you could take to the path of do you drive on the left side, do you drive on the right, but 99 out of 100 times you end up in that path that's pre-cut from whoever came on the path before you. So in the same way that our tire marks become attracted to the path of least resistance, our actions, I guess, default to the path of least resistance of the path that we've practiced the most and really implemented in our neurological circuits. I learned this concept through as neurons that wire together, fire together. So the more you wire those pathways, wire those actions together, the more automatic it comes in the steps to come. And I've thought about that in a number of ways, whether it's physical health, mental health, spiritual health, but really creating neuropathways that are productive and serving rather than harmful and disserving. One of the neuropathways that I really had to unlearn is my tendency to stress eat. I think growing up super obese, I kind of always struggled with binge eating and managing my emotions through food, whether that was super unhealthy food as a younger kid. And then even as I was still getting into shape, still binge eating healthy food, like there were points in time where I ate like thousands of calories of almonds, but really it was in the bulk and the eating of the emotions that was the tendency and health. Whether you're you know, binge eating spinach and broccoli or cheesecake, like it's still the act of using food as an emotional crutch. So really rewiring that neuro pathway to when I feel stressed to maybe I'll do some yoga, maybe I'll do some push-ups or write or meditate or call a friend, but really unlearning that neuro pathway of I feel stressed, I feel upset, I feel lonely. Let's go to the potato chip or the ice cream bag and rewriting that into something that's both more empowering and more constructive has been absolutely fundamental in my life the last year or so and kind of rewriting those behavioral and neurological pathways. Yeah, and I think this brings up another idea that our most recent guest Jacqueline shared is that you can read all the books about swimming, but when you're actually tossed into the ocean, do you actually know how to swim? 
because learning about swimming that doesn't mean you know how to swim right like that's why we're saying like the power is within the creation itself so seek that power by truly reframing and true seeking out the beneficial practices that's going to solidify a positive neural pathways and i think once you're aware of this concept you can also like develop your metacognition skills right your metacognitive skills where anytime before you're about to do something that's cognitive or you're about to do a certain physical actions you can catch yourself before the execution of the action and ask yourself is this practice or is this actions are going to create a positive neural pathways or negative neural pathways and continue to build on that a metacognitive ability to catch yourself before you create a certain thought in your mind or before you create a certain action because remember whether you choose to believe or not whether you choose to do it or not by repeating that action of yours whether it's positive or negative they're going to contribute that neural pathways and this is science this is neuroscience so uh, i really want to encourage doing that and on that same token back to what you talked about aiden where there are many contributing factors to why you fell prey under that scam well, one of the factors that you talked about is the lack of support system that you felt, or you felt you had to burden this responsibly all by yourself. You had to figure out the situations by yourself because it happened to you. And I think that also talks about what Jacqueline said in that interview, where having a support system matters, right? Because the more support system that you have, the less burden you have to take on by yourself. And the more support system that you have, the more you can express your concerns or talk about these ideas. And through that conversations, I think the power is given to you and the other person. And I think uh, another saying in the mental health that comes to my mind is the opposite of depression is expression. Is what you don't express gets depressed. So I think that explains to one of the reasons why you did what you did is because you weren't able to express your concerns, your hesitations, or your intuitive whispers. That's why you had to go through the burdens of suffering by yourself. So I think having that expressions, having that support systems, and building the intentional passages of neurological connections in your brain are all many things that I, I think I've personally taken away for the past 16 months, but more specifically the past nine months since we last sat down to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation just between us two. Definitely. And I'm really glad you brought up that idea of a support system because in a weird way, asking for help only becomes a new neuropathway, right? I think especially for 27 or however old the listener is, but for males especially, I think there's a narrative around asking for help is weak. I think that's seen in the mental health space. You know, that's something I've had to work through a lot is, I guess, the power of asking for help and really asking for help as the first step to true change. And I think on this note, this is a lot of work that I've done a lot the past few months, and I've been fascinated and inspired by the generosity of the human spirit. And what I mean by this is just the time and energy and resources that friends, family, even strangers have so generously given me over the past few months, specifically few years for sure. But I think the past since COVID has opened my eyes and appreciation for those acts, whether it's a long phone call with a family member or a initial call with a stranger on the internet, but really people I believe are inherently good and inherently want to help other human beings. 
and I've just been fascinated with how that's played out over the past few months. Uh, but really, in order for someone to help, they need to be asked for help. And that was a resistance I had for the longest time around it's weak to ask for help or don't want to be looked down upon for asking for that help. But whether it's in a mental health therapist container or a friend or family, let's set an expectation or boundary together, but really having those intentional conversations, asking for help when needed, and embracing the generosity both from other people and then giving generosity on the other side has been something I've been thinking a lot about, both in the healthcare context of all of the beloved healthcare workers, but then also in the personal context of friends, family, strangers I met on the internet, but really both empowerment side of asking for help and then the generosity side of the human spirit. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful way to go full circle and tie all of our stories together, but more specifically your story because you talked about when the scam incidents first erupted, you didn't feel like you had a support system and you didn't have neural pathways that were built that were able to give you the power to ask for help, right? Because in my mental health space and nonprofit space where I work at, the primary barrier that I identify with my clients is there's a lot of resources readily available to support them. And I always tell them there are resources available to support, but many of my clients never ask for support. In order to ask for support, you first must acknowledge that you need help. You need support. And it's the recognition of the needing help, I think, has you know, made a lot of people to be resistant towards asking for help. But in that way, because you're able to experience a scam, because you're able to seek out the lessons, you're able to cultivate the neural pathways of seeking help for the past four months. Because I know you've been working till 9.30 p.m. at work and you've been working overload. But like you talked about, the generosity of human spirit shines through only because you're able to reach out and ask for help. So I think there is no generosity if you don't ask for help, right? Because humans aren't mind readers. Doesn't matter how much context they know about you, doesn't matter how much they care about you, even if it's your most intimate partner or your family or your parents, whoever, if they don't know what areas of support they could offer, they're not going to offer any support because you don't know what you don't know. Simple as that, right? So I think that's the, what's profound about today's conversation for me, at least, is that view everything as practice but especially seek out support systems, seek out the support, seek out the help that you need because we are all in this together. We are all just individual fragile creatures trying to survive in this large uncertainty of life. And I think by creating that positive neural pathways that we kept alluding to for the past few minutes is going to help you better anchor ourselves and to better support ourselves to once again, like survive through this life of uncertainty because like nothing is guaranteed at the end of the day. Yeah, 1000%. And I'd like to kind of echo what you said in the removing of the stigma around asking for help, because I think asking for help is seen as a bad thing a lot of like not having something figured out or not knowing the right way. But really, I believe based on my experience that everyone needs help in different containers or even not a needs help, but a, other people know how to do things better than we. I don't think anyone's the best in the world unless, you know, you got a gold medal in that thing in the Olympics. There's always someone to learn from, always someone who has a different perspective. And even if, say, your career is better than your partner's career, your partner's the relationship with themselves might be better than yours. Like I think there's always a trade-off and we always have things to learn from other people. Even as a 
small sided example of this, but I bet the homeless population of Philly could teach us a lot about surviving outdoors and talking to strangers and negotiating with people on the side of the road. You know, I think there's always something to learn from each person and really to embrace the humility of asking those questions and accepting their perspectives. You don't have to accept other people's perspectives as subjective truth, right? Like you mentioned, you don't have to integrate other people's ideas into your own truth, but at least considering them and not dismissing them has been super valuable. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday that I really want to echo and make sure we put on the mic is just the frustration I have with the social habit of dismissing schools of thought as crazy, right? In just five simple letters, it dismisses a whole framework of, oh, he, she, it, they are crazy. And it's just a perplexing thing that society does of like not looking for the good or not looking for the truth in some school of thought. I think there's as small as it may be in each different idea. I mean, for example's sake, and this is a far on the left's guardrail, but like flat earthers, maybe there's an ounce of truth in them thinking outside of the box. I think, you know, from a biological and worldly standpoint, they're far from right, but their idea of thinking outside of the box, not accepting everything as it's presented, is something that I've taken away and try and integrate in my own life. But really looking for the truths in everyone, not dismissing anyone or anything as crazy, and then taking away those pieces of truth into our own subjective truth is something that I've thought a lot about and found super helpful. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of inheritance problems with like labeling culture such as like identity politics or because we tend to label something that's other than our belief systems to avoid a clash between the belief systems. So it's, it's easier for people to label such thing as crazy, like we talked about, a seemingly insignificant word that carries so much significant meaning behind that, right? It's simple five-letter words, like you said, but by labeling something as, labeling someone as crazy and labeling their ideas as crazy, you're effectively dismissing their entire existence and their entire belief systems and entire ideologies. And by doing that, it's easier for people to dismiss. People like to label them because it's easier for them to dismiss after the labeling fact. And to me, that's just simple, lazy work. It's e- because it's easier to find the path of least resistance by labeling such things crazy. I do hope that society as a whole can shift towards the right directions by you know, respecting a lot of people's opinions, uh, respecting people's ideologies, in spite and despite of the differences. And obviously, to people listening, flat earth is a very extreme example. And we both condemn flat earth theories. It's nonsense. But I do think that by talking to those people, which I've never done, I don't personally know any flat earth theory people. But I'm sure if I have the intentions of curiosity, if I'm operating from a point of curiosity, from a place of compassion... I know for certain I could take away some things, maybe not their scientific understanding, but something else from their respective lives. Yeah, I think the one thing I'm going to take away from today's conversation is that, uh, you know, anytime and every time when I look and reflect on my life, I want to see what areas of help I could seek out, what sort of help I can ask for. Because if you think about it, uh, living a life, not reaching out, living a life, not asking for help is an incredibly lonely life in my perspective. 
because for you to not ask for help, the neural pathways and the subliminal message you're sending to yourself is that you don't need help, right? That's what that does. By not asking for help, you're confirming or you're affirming on identity that you don't need help. And that's not true. Everybody needs help. And the more you not ask for help and the less you ask for help, the more solidified that neural pathway is going to be built so that when you truly need help in some sort of an unexpected catastrophic event years down the future, which we both know is going to happen because life is guaranteed of uncertainties, then when the time really comes, you won't be able to ask for help because that we talked about through a neuroscience perspective that it's just not possible because that's just how our brain operates. So, you know, I hope that listeners taken away something from this conversation, but you know, like something that we always end each conversation with is something we like to urge the guests to discover more something about. And we have something like to urge the listeners to discover more something about, but since this is like a unique episode where it's just Aiden and myself catching up, um, I like to, of course, ask Aiden what he likes to discover more about, but I want to just say that I want to discover more areas where I could unlearn some of the negative neural pathways I've built over the past 28 years of my life and to, you know, identify some areas where I could grow through asking for help because I definitely want to solidify and strengthen the neural pathways in my brain because I know uh, I'm pretty competent in most aspects of life and I don't always like to ask for help because of that problematic patriarchal expectations that we have on men so and i think what really resonates for me there is that each time you ask for help it gets easier and easier so with what started as asking my parents hey i'm not sure what i want to do with my life could you guys help me out or be a sounding board for some of these ideas so asking for help in a very proximate and trusted area whether it's with friends with family or a coach or mentor but then that's neural pathway being built has empowered me to reach out to strangers on the internet and just pick people's brains of strangers that I'd never met before that just seem like they're doing great stuff in the world and wanting to hear about their experience. And considering all that, which I think is the thing that I'm going to start trying to discover more about and encourage listeners to do an analogy that just came up. So like I mentioned, as we're recording, we're sitting in this attic in this cabin in rural New York and it's just started to snow pretty significantly. And we're looking out this small, almost porthole of a window. It's super tiny. You can see, you know, one tree out the side of it. And I almost am using that as an analogy for life in that we all have a small porthole of a window into the landscape or the reality of life. And each other perspective or each other person that you connect with and think about their life experience, it builds how big your window is, right? The more people you talk to, learn from, ask about their life experience, it continues to build your window into seeing a larger view of what life looks like. And that's why I'm so deeply grateful for this podcast and this platform to be able to ask those questions, talk to guests, learn from their experiences, and then really take that ethos, take that mission and purpose of discovering more and embodying that in the day-to-day and trying to discover more from whoever I interact with, whatever experience I face. And I hope that that window analogy kind of sparks some light bulbs for anyone listening right now. And to all the listeners, if you have made it to the end, as always, we are deeply grateful for you to hop on this experience with us. And as always, catch you next time. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.